Today on the podcast, we're talking about one of the biggest career killers, and that is people-pleasing. It might not have come to mind when you think, what is a career killer? But people-pleasing is one of them, and I'm going to explain why. Well, I'm not going to explain why. My good friend Grace is joining the podcast to explain why we need to let go of people-pleasing. This is a deep conversation. We're going to get into the why behind people-pleasing and how Grace has learned to overcome that in her own career, especially if you're leading people, because people-pleasing can be a real challenge if you're in leadership. Grace is the vice president of strategy at a company called Four. You are going to love this conversation. It's raw. It's vulnerable, it's real. Let's do it. This is a podcast about making work work. You'll learn about leadership, career growth, and how to navigate those weird work challenges. I run a HR consulting business called Boldside, where I help leaders build epic team cultures. If you lead a team or run a business and you think I can help, let's connect on LinkedIn. My name is Shelley Johnson, and this is work. 
let's go there. Let's just <laughs> let's just go there. I also just really quickly want to explain to everyone that Shelley and I worked together in a cafe when we were 16. <laughs> so one thing that we want to do a circle back on at some point is hospitality versus our our jobs and careers now, what we've learned and where we are. But hilarious. Anyway, so yeah, it's been a big year. It's been really great being back in Australia. Um, I've had an extended remote work time for about five weeks to round out the year, which is the longest I've ever spent away from the office and from the time zone that my entire team and client base is working in. And it's been really lovely and productive to have some time that isn't clogged up by meetings all day, which I think is by nature what happens to you when you are a leader in a company of that size where it's really difficult to on the fly figure out if you should be in a meeting, if you shouldn't, if a chat is easier than a Slack or is easier than an email or if you should do this or if you should do that or am I passing the buck by saying no to this meeting or am I protecting my time to create more impact elsewhere or am I letting this person down over here or will it let someone else down more over here or am I letting myself down and just every day it can feel if you're not careful like your calendar is just dragging you through the day like you're behind a ski boat like already having fallen over and just being like oh my god but it's been really great to be here with more time and space to think about (laughs) everything And to think about and to just have time to reflect on even just this year in particular. And I think for me, the big lesson this year has been really understanding things that I've known I needed to do for a while or that I kept hearing that I needed to do or knowing that something or or reading that something was important in leadership, but actually experiencing it and learning from it in that way rather than just reading in a book and thinking, oh, yeah, now I know that and understand it. And I, I think there are just a couple of things this year that I've really experienced that I now can round out the year and be like, oh, I truly know that now. So you mentioned like that idea of you can read something mm-hmm. in a book or you can have like your manager or someone in your world, a mentor maybe say to you, hey, Grace, like that thing that you're doing, like, it's not very helpful. Or, right. hey, I see that you're doing this and you probably need to change it. And we often get that feedback from people, but for whatever reason, something in us stops us from being able to make the change. Like we know that we need to. We're like, yes, this person's told me. I can see this behaviour that I'm enacting is not helpful or not serving me. But for whatever reason, we can't change it. Tell us what was that behaviour for you or what was that that kind of pattern Mm -hmm. and how was it impacting you? So one of a few, a big one for me was people pleasing. (laughs) Uh, The old people pleaser. The old people pleaser. I want to just be like everyone, if you're a people pleaser, (laughs) raise your hand and you're in good company. (laughs) You're in good company. It's so hard to shake. So if people are saying, if you are a people pleaser to your core, it is something that you have probably been since you are a child. So when people tell you, People pleasing as a leader isn't something that's going to serve you. You need to care less about what people think. You need to not be making decisions based on what you think other people will perceive you as. You need to do this. You need to do that. It's really hard to know that and learn it versus just reading it or hearing it. And so for me this year, 
I feel like I had the experience to just realize, okay, we are now a company of this size. It's been a big year with lots of things going on in the world. There's been so much change happening. There's a lot of growth. There's this, there's that. And managing and leading through that means the more people there are, the more potential perceptions that as a people pleaser you are now considering. So if before when you started on a team of four people and you're someone who wants to keep everyone happy, you're only thinking about three other people. But now as you're just setting yourself up to fail as you move through your career and life because the more people there are, the more stories you can make up in your own head about what they might be thinking or what they might be feeling or what this little moment in that meeting meant or why you should have said it this way, you should have done that or you should have done this. And I've just realised I've because I've now accrued that experience to actually see that I'm setting myself up to fail and feel what it feels like to not be able to keep everyone happy at all times because it's impossible. There's too many people. Sometimes I have to have tough conversations with people. They're not going to be pleased by nature of what I'm saying to them. They're not going to leave the conversation pleased. So if I enter dynamics or even just my day thinking and feeling that my goal is to keep everyone happy, I'm setting myself up to fail from the beginning and setting myself up to make probably poor decisions that are ultimately going to affect other people more negatively than if I was to make a decision from what do I think is right versus what do I think is going to make me popular. That's a really good point. What do I think is right versus what will make me popular? And it's a really strong distinction. I also think the point that you made around when you set out to people please, you inevitably don't please as many people anyway. No. Because of course not. <laughs> well, it turns out. It turns out. <laughs> it backfires. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's just like, well, you know what? It didn't work because it turns out I don't know what people want either. Yeah, like right. we think, we assume we know what people want. Right. So, for, for example, you mentioned tough conversations. I think one of the things a lot of people who are people pleasers struggle with is the idea of how do I tell someone a difficult truth to say to them, hey, I felt let down by you in this situation or I felt when you did that thing in that meeting, I felt really hurt by what you said. As people pleasers, we don't want to say that. We don't want to like get people offside. But the funny thing is that when you can have a difficult conversation well, you actually build a stronger and healthier relationship with that person. So you increase the trust. The relationship as a result becomes what we would describe as anti-fragile. So that idea, if you think about when you break it, have you ever broken a bone? Yes. What bone did you break? <laughs> Just out of curiosity. <laughs> I broke my arm when I was five because I was singing Dingly Dangly Scarecrow on a chair. I'm going to show off since the day I was born. <laughs> And you fell off. Fell off. The dingly dangly scarecrow did break their arm. Dinglier and danglier than you thought. (laughs) Truly. It's a lot worse. Yeah. But so what happens when you break a bone, as you would know, I broke my collarbone playing touch football. (laughs) I think I remember that. Yeah, Yeah, in high school. Yeah. So there was that. Um, And (laughs) when you break your bone and it calcifies, it forms like a lump over where the break was and it actually makes that bone stronger. I want you to think about your relationships at work in that way. 
that if you get good at resolving conflict and having difficult conversations well, mm-hmm. emphasis on well, like mm-hmm. it's very strong emphasis, but if you do that, then it's becoming anti-fragile. So that relationship is stronger as a result. And you can think of countless times where someone sat down with you and they said, hey, Grace, like, oh, that day when you did that, it really, really upset me and I wish that that didn't happen. And you're like, oh, I'm so glad you told me. Yeah. Like you relieve. It's such a relief. And it's once you get good at accepting it and giving it, you're like, oh my God, people go through their whole lives not doing this and being so indirect and being so incapable of hearing any negative feedback about them, no matter what place it's coming from, that can be so helpful. I've had so many people, there's a couple of people on my team who have come to me with things where there's an example recently where someone on my team who I really trust, who reports to me, came to me and said, I actually have some feedback for you. And I was like, oh, yep, let's hear it. And she was like, there was a thing that you said in this meeting when we were preparing for this client meeting and you asked me if you thought that me presenting that section of it was the right call and it's just sort of in that moment made me feel like you didn't think that I was up to it, that I could have done that. And especially with other people on the team there who report to me, I felt a little, it just felt like you didn't trust me. And I was so relieved that she had told me because I was like, I can, yeah, I can absolutely see why you would think that and why you would feel that way. And it wasn't that I didn't trust you. It was actually that that part of the presentation, I didn't feel it was as strong as it should have been. And that I didn't want to have you be the person who had to land a piece of the presentation that you ultimately didn't even put together (laughs) and that I thought "Mm, maybe we should try and connect this dot because it's the roughest part and it was a part that I was a part of putting together. It was the toughest piece of the presentation that we were trying to nail but I wasn't direct about that being why. I was just... And it was so helpful for her to just share that with me and me, me be able to explain to her that's where I was coming from. So I want you to know it's not that I don't have confidence in you. I didn't have confidence in that piece of what had to be a rushed pitch and I didn't want to dump that on you. I mean, if you didn't have that conversation, from your perspective, you're like, I don't want to stitch this person up. Yeah, I didn't want to stitch you up. Exactly. But they're thinking you don't think they're good enough. Totally. And so... We have this gap of, and and when there's a gap of understanding, we make assumptions. Mm -hmm. And so when there's those assumptions, we're like, well, if we don't check them with another person, we then just go, okay, cool. Well, I'm just going to harbor resentment about that for the end of, until the end of time. Exactly. A (laughs) hundred percent. But I think this idea of people pleasing is so massive because as you said, Grace, like so many people go through their entire life without being able to address this. So I want to know... How was it affecting your life? Because you said you've been doing this for a really long time and, and you're in your, we're in our mid-30s. <laughs> we're there, baby. We're in our mid-30s. We are so, there. it's a long time. Yeah. People have probably talked to you about this over mm-hmm. years. What was the catalyst to make you realise, okay, this is, this is not working for me? Um, I think the most personal, frequent impact was losing sleep every night, (laughs) like not being able to get to sleep because I was just thinking of what every moment throughout the day and reliving it and what I could, what people might have been thinking of me based on 
one sentence that I had used or one thing that I had done or the way that I had phrased something. And I just couldn't turn my brain off because I was just imagining too many other people's perceptions of me. So I think that was the most direct daily impact. And then I think I realized that I was overthinking, overanalyzing, and we were talking a little bit before about how impactful coaching can be. I've been working with a really incredible coach and there are a handful of scenarios where she said to me, okay, it's really important that going into this difficult conversation, you are okay with and realize that you can't enter the conversation thinking that your goal is for the other person to feel good at the end of it because it's a difficult conversation. So if you walk into it thinking your job or feeling that your job is to make the other person feel okay or feel good, not even just okay, but feel good, you're going to convolute your message. You're going to confuse them. You're going to confuse yourself. And ultimately it's going to be so unclear and so ineffective, but also there's no way that you can succeed. There's no way that you can land a really tough message with someone and have them feel pleased. So in working with her, she made me do a lot of reflection on what I think I am really great at and who I believe I am and the things that I know about myself and am at this point confident are true, which are I do really care about people. I do care deeply about being fair to other people. I care about being a reasonable leader. And if I have to share with someone that something has gone wrong and that I really need them to understand where I'm coming from, I don't need to think about how to be kind or be reasonable because I am naturally those things, but I do need to think about how to be clear and how to be assertive and how to be firm because I'm not naturally those things. That's so good. Yeah. That's a real mindset shift because just hearing you say that of going, okay, because you're naturally, like one of your strengths is being kind, being empathetic towards people, really looking out for them. That's always running. That strength is always running. So you're always going to lean into that. If you don't then focus on the clarity and the directness and the ability to be firm, mm-hmm. that stuff will never kind of come to the surface because you're just going to like like water it down with all of uh, your strengths. So I think being able to get clear on what is missing in these conversations, like what are the things that I'm not naturally doing then how do I t- kind of dial up those areas and go, okay, well, it's unlikely that I will go into a difficult conversation and be ruthless <laughs> Because yes. it's just not who you are. Exactly. But it is highly likely that I will be unclear. Yes, 100%. <laughs> exactly. So there's a Radical Candor book that's like ruinous empathy is an entire quadrant of when I read that, that was a light bulb moment for me as well of, oh, this can actually impact people really negatively if you don't recognize that your lack of clarity, your lack of comfort in sharing something directly with someone because you think you're being caring and because you think it's coming from a place of empathy, which it is, it's coming from those places, but in practice the impact is you're not being clear and you are softening things for yourself, 
or you, again, are just setting yourself up to fail because you're trying to have them leave feeling good. It's just not going to work. And I think as a people pleaser, the thing that can help is to put yourself in that mode of, okay, if I'm going to genuinely please someone, if I actually want the best for this person, the best thing for this person is that they hear the truth from me. Mm -hmm. The best thing is not artificial niceness. Totally. Like that's actually not kind. If we get into like what does kindness really look like, kindness doesn't look like fake niceness. And I think about what happens when people get in this cycle of like people pleasing where you start to build up resentment towards people because you haven't had the direct conversation, you haven't been very clear and so you're like over time you're just like, I really, you really piss me off. <laughs> but they have no idea because they're like you never have yeah, once it's not told fair. them. It's not fair and it's not, it's now I see it, now that I know that and I've, that's what I mean in terms of reading something versus experiencing it yourself and feeling it yourself and truly learning it through experience. Now that I know that, I see other people saying, this person did this thing and I don't want to do this. And I, I, well, I don't want to talk to them because I don't, whatever. And it's like, well, it's your responsibility to talk to them. (laughs) You need to give them the opportunity to fix it. And if you don't, that's as much on you as it is on them. You absolutely need to tell them that this thing that they've said to you has not sat right with you and you don't need to do it in a way that's ruthless and you don't also need to do it in a way that doesn't say what you mean like you can do it in a way that is coming at it from a place of hey I'm bringing this to you because it's important to me you're important to me or our relationship or our work or our ability to collaborate or whatever it is is important to me here's how I felt I want to be able to say it to you so we can talk it through and that's that. And if you don't do that, you aren't giving them the opportunity to fix it. So at this point I feel very like, okay, well, it's now just as much on, from this point it's as much on you as it is on them if you're not communicating it to them. Because if you communicate something to someone and you're fair with your feedback and then it continues, okay, well then it could be a them thing. Or it could be this or it could be that. But if you're just harbouring it (laughs) or you're being unclear, it's on you. 100%. I want to show you this thing. We're in my home studio and I've got this thing that I take to workshops anytime we do like these feedback masterclasses. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to show you it because I reckon it's really relevant. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to show you this thing. (laughs) One sec. If you want to grow in your career, I just wanted to remind you about our book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Glenn James and I have written this book to help you with any kind of career crisis, but also those things that you want, like getting a promotion, making more money, moving into a leadership role, or if it's time to quit your job. You can find our book wherever you get good books from, or you can listen on the audiobook, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Now let's get back to the show. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm on the edge of my seat. You're on the edge of your seat because I haven't shown you what it is. But I have in my hand something I take to all these workshops that we do on this exact thing of difficult conversations because so many of us are people pleasers. And maybe there's other ways of describing it, like conflict averse or fear of Mm -hmm. upsetting people. The other thing I've been really talking we talked about this before the episode is the fear of what other people think mm-hmm. which I've been paralyzed by <laughs> I know oh <laughs> honestly like just sleepless anyway. nights my god well, when you said the sleepless nights I was like oh my gosh yes I can relate mm-hmm. so I've got this thing and I'm gonna give it to you and this this has been really big for me so it's this packet of artificial sweetener <laughs> what does it say sweet and low sweet and low so it's like this pink Artificial sweetener. I'm sorry to the business who, like, I'm sure it's great. Sorry Um, to this man. (laughs) The artificial sweetener business, sweet and low. But I think this is what we do all the time at work. Mm -hmm. Like we go into our job and instead of like showing up in an authentic and honest and direct and kind way, Mm -hmm. we aim for like sweet and low. (laughs) Which is like artificial sweetener. Like, yeah. you know what? Artificial sweetener is gross. Terrible. Like, man, you, like, Honestly, I judge anyone who uses artificial sweetener. <laughs> I'm like, what like, are you doing? Like, I have a no judgment policy except for people who use artificial sweetener. Yeah. But I think this is what happens. For me, it's like always a good reminder. I'm like, if I'm watering down the message because I want to please someone, I'm making things way more difficult for them. I'm not being kind. Mm-hmm. It's sweet and low. Yeah. Like it's a low ball move. Like if I think about what kindness looks like, I think about truth and kindness as a metric and it's really difficult when you want people to like you. Mm -hmm. It's the temptation and that gravitational pull towards the artificial niceness is always there. Mm -hmm. We have to find a way. I think it's a really important learning that everyone has to go through. But like you said, it could take years to break out of this cycle. Totally. I actually have, there's a conversation that I'm reminded of. I love Sweet and Low. Conversation I'm reminded of um, where I had made a decision, gave an opportunity to someone that I was confident deserved it and someone else said was disappointed that they didn't get that opportunity and came to me with a lot of vulnerability and a lot of um, candor and I really appreciated that from them but said to me, I just want you to think about how that might be perceived, that they got that opportunity and that I didn't. And that really stuck with me because, and that's when I really knew that I had made the right decision and I appreciated that they had brought it to me that they were feeling like, they were advocating for themselves and they felt I should have gotten this opportunity and I want to challenge you on it and I want to have an open, vulnerable conversation about it. But when they shared with me, I want you to think about how it will be perceived, I felt immediately like, oh, I'm more confident than ever that I made the right decision because I was like, I can honestly sit here and say to you, I have thought more about what this will be (laughs) perceived how this will be perceived Mm 
than you would care to imagine. I think about how things will be perceived all the time. But ultimately that's a terrible place for me to make decisions from. I can't make decisions based on how things will be perceived. I have to make decisions based on what I think is right. And here's the reason why I think this is right. I really appreciate you coming to me sharing that it doesn't sit right with you and it doesn't feel fair. And I'm so glad we can have this conversation directly. But I need you to understand that I can't make decisions from a place of perception because it's going to lead us all in a terrible direction. And after sharing that rationale, I think there was more comfort and clarity of like, oh, well, I'm glad we at least had this direct conversation. And there was, there was more colour, context, understanding of what went into that decision that even if it still didn't feel great because it's still an exciting opportunity, would have been like, would have loved to have gotten it. I think we both left the conversation feeling like, oh, yeah, I know a lot, I understand a lot more where the other person is coming from. It's really interesting the, that drawing out of that language, how this will be perceived because I think sometimes this happens where when we're upset by something and Brene Brown, oh, everyone must roll their eyes when I talk about Brene. <laughs> I love Brene. I love Brene so much but, like, I talk about it every single podcast episode. It gets a bit much. But she, Not ever. Those rules aren't even real. <laughs> she... she talks about the invisible army where sometimes we feel that our vulnerability of just the pain it caused us personally of I didn't get the opportunity is not enough. Mm-hmm. So then what we do in those difficult conversations is we we try to throw weight behind it. Yeah. And yep. the weight is it's not just that it other hurt the people. Me, it's the other people. So it's, well, it's I'm upset because I didn't get it. You know what? That stands alone. That is enough. Like that is a really good point to raise that you're, like you said, you appreciate that person's vulnerability. Your vulnerability about how it affects you personally is enough to stand on its own two legs. Mm-hmm. You don't need to bring the extra weight of, and P.S. like the perception <laughs> is going to be bad or what she... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? It's the exact same personally outside of work where if you've ever had an argument with anyone or a disagreement with someone or you've upset someone or they're upset and they come to you and they're like, and you know who else thinks this? This person and this person, this person. Immediately you're like, okay, well, (laughs) where are we going here? Or like (laughs) really base examples from me, but there was an episode of the Kardashians where, (laughs) where Kim went in hard on Courtney because she was like, and you know what? We have this group chat where we all talk about you because you do this and it's called not Courtney because everyone thinks this. And it immediately invalidated everything that she had just said about everything that she was feeling because all of a sudden you're now just in a place of throwing, like grasping it, trying to pull other people into it to validate what is already valid, which is if you are feeling, if you already have a feeling about something and you're already being vulnerable and direct about it, it's already valid. If you're open to discussing it from a true place of openness, it's already valid. And you invalidate it by throwing other people under the bus or bringing other people in or challenging someone to think about perception or other people's opinions or what they've said or what they've thought. It invalidates it. Well, that's the, it's the invisible army of the group chat that's not Courtney, you know, like the, because <laughs> totally. the, that's the thing of like 
And the thing that it does, it, it loses your credibility in that moment instantly. And that's where we start to see people really get defensive in these conversations because as a manager, you're like, wait, what? Whoa, this, that feels like an overreach or that feels like you've overstepped now. I love digging into this stuff because I think this is something that most people struggle with. Mm-hmm. I don't, I haven't met someone. I don't think I've met someone except maybe like people who are really, you know, barristers and, <laughs> and lawyers who are like get up in the morning like I love good, love a good conflict conversation. <laughs> they're like licking their lips. Yeah, they're like getting ready get for <laughs> Harry Wormwood just ready to go to the wrecking yard being like I'm ready to rip someone off. Like a real criminal. (laughs) I love making people feel terrible. Yeah, like, no. It's no. no. So I want to know how else have you handled this thing of people pleasing? Because I, just before the podcast, we were both talking about this because Mm -hmm. I was saying to you (laughs) from my personal experience, I have not considered myself a people pleaser. Over the majority of my life, mm-hmm. I've I always kind of considered myself to be like someone's blunt bestie, where I would be like, "Listen, listen yeah, that's sister. how I see you." <laughs> like that thing you're doing is not good. Like you need to stop. To that. <laughs> like that guy you're with, he's toxic. No, but yeah, I over the last couple of years, I've started to see this thing like rear its ugly head in me, uh, which has been a surprise, and I want to know asking for a friend <laughs> how do you feel like you've overcome it and dealt with it um I think a couple yeah with great difficulty <laughs> yeah, with great difficulty a truly great difficulty I think one way I've dealt with it is this can also happen at a company level where if the brand or company that you're working for is high growth and is trying to capture a lot of pieces of a market that's quickly evolving and there are a lot of elements of, uh, there are a lot of different needs and there's a lot of opportunity. It can be in some ways the easiest thing to say, well, we'll be everything for everyone. What do you want? We can do that. We can absolutely do that. Tell me what you need. I'll give it to you. Like, absolutely. And I think I had a really amazing conversation with someone on my team in at the end of Q2 of this year, we had mid-year reflections and the economy in Q1 and Q2 this year was quite rough. So a lot of brands generally were putting, it was harder. There were more decision makers, more budgets being put on hold, more just at a macro level, it was a, a, a rough business landscape. But that I think often results in people pleasing at a company level because all of a sudden you're trying to be everything for everyone because you are whatever anyone wants, you're like, yeah, we can do that. Just tell me what you want and then I'll do it. And what it means is, which someone pointed out to me was, hey, I feel like I'm entering these conversations with prospects and I don't have the conviction in our value proposition that I used to have because instead I'm just trying to do whatever they need me to do. And I don't think it's as compelling or interesting as me saying, hey, here's what my value is. Here's what our value is as a company. Here's what I think you need to do. Here's like, and still listening and intaking all of that and whatever. But at a company level, if you're just trying to 
essentially people please at that level of like we'll we'll bend ourselves into whatever you need in order to get your business it's actually a far less persuasive sale than here's what I can offer you and I think that that macro company level was a individual level learning for me of like oh I cannot contort myself into all of these different things that different people want at all times. I cannot do it. It's impossible. There's too many people to please. It's impossible. And what they actually need is someone who, instead of operating from a place of keeping everyone pleased, I need to operate from a place of realizing that I cannot control anyone else's perception of me or anyone else's experience of their day. What I can control is how I show up the decisions that I make and the investment that I have in my own character and my own identity as a leader and how I treat other people, how I make my decisions and how I arrive at the direction that I'm setting for people. That's what I can control. I love that. I think that emphasis on what can you control and can't you control is really important because when we get into that mode of we've got fear of what other people think of us. We're worrying about things that are fundamentally outside of Mm -hmm. our control. Mm -hmm. Like I can't control how you think about me. Right. I would, I like, I would like to think that I could Mm -hmm. and I I hope that I make a good impression, but at the end of the day, I have no control over that. But what I can control is how do I show up as a person? Exactly what you said. Mm -hmm. How do I show up as a person? Am, am, Am I being true to my values and who I want to become. And I always think about this idea, Grace, of like, okay, who do I want to become? Mm-hmm. Because so often we focus on what do we think people want from us. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, what do I think this person wants? When really I have no idea what they want. Like they're probably not even thinking about me. No. Okay, but instead I need to, well, who do I want to become and have some kind of like And so for me personally, I have like, and it's written on my whiteboard, we have like our business values. And one of them, the first one is take the bold road. And it's so funny because like I have felt any time I'm in a conversation at work and I'm like feel that gravitational pull towards people pleasing Mm -hmm. or towards withdrawing from a difficult conversation, I have that in my mind, that statement of like take the bold road and I'm like, What does that look like? And to me that looks like having difficult conversations or being honest and kind to someone and saying, hey, look, that thing that is really, if you keep going down that line, this is what it's going to look like for you as a leader or as a team member. But a lot of people probably don't have those values values set clear or they don't really know, well, who do I want to become? For you, was there anything around that where you had this kind of clear picture of this is the kind of person that I want to show up as? (laughs) Yes. So <laughs> I had, I have had for years such an identity crisis about being a boss and being a leader and not having many kind of role models, not role models, but not having any icons that I'm like, that is who I want to be like. Because <laughs> popular or unpopular opinion, I just don't really care about like Sheryl Sandberg. Like I'm not like, staying up at night thinking about you're not leaning in I'm not I'm just not, I just out. don't care and like I just don't I don't 
it's not something that like sets me alert, you know, to like see a keynote speaker on a big corporate stage standing up there in an ill-fitting blazer. Like I just don't, that I just don't connect to it. And so I have always had this feeling of like, well, who do I look up to in that, especially as a, as a female leader of like, who do I envision when I'm like, oh, that is who I want to be like, that is a role model to me. And this year (laughs) I had this revelation where I was on this kind of binge of um, celebrity kind of Netflix specials where I watched Lady Gaga's um, whatever it's called. Biography. Yeah, biography. Yeah, biography or like I watched hers, I watched J-Lo's, you know, seeing Lady Gaga and seeing J-Lo prepare themselves and their teams for performing at the Super Bowl, which is the largest stage in the world, and it requires leadership. I I was watching both of them being like, oh my God, you aren't a performer. You are a charismatic, compelling, passionate person who is so yourself, and you are able to get everyone behind you to like create this thing together. And I had this revelation of like, oh, leadership isn't this idea of like when you think of what a terrible book with someone's headshot on it looks like, <laughs> like that's not what it is. <laughs> leadership is getting people to believe in what you're doing and and be a part of a team and accomplish something together and create something together or well, that's part of it. And so I was like, wow, yeah, like, Lady Gaga amping her team up before the Super Bowl and talking about how this isn't just the biggest moment in her career, it's the biggest moment in all of their careers and how proud they should all be. And, like, that was a moment where I was like, wow, that's so beautiful. And then, again, Super Bowl performance leading up to it of seeing J-Lo in her bed on a conference call to someone talking about how she didn't think she was being set up to succeed because she was having to split time with Shakira and that she respected Shakira and <laughs> again my examples but she was like I really I love and respect Shakira as my friend as a performer 7 minutes is not enough time to summarize your career which is what a Super Bowl performance is like it's meant to be 14 minutes and now I have 7 this isn't enough time this is we're set up this isn't going to work and seeing her like navigate that conversation, I was like, wow, these women are amazing that they're, they've gotten to this place in their career because they're able to have difficult conversations, they're able to motivate people, they're able to have a vision and create something. And so I think there's all of these qualities that a leader can be, whether it's a director or a musical artist. There's so many different modes of leadership and for me somehow... And sometimes I connect to the ones that aren't necessarily business related. I also wonder if you connect with them because they help you to be your more authentic self. So for you, that doesn't feel like Sheryl Sandberg corporate vibe sending on a stage speaking to a bunch of uh, people who work in office jobs. It feels like someone who is vibrant, gutsy, out there, Lady Gaga doing her thing. And you're like, Mm -hmm. I like the boldness that is you. and you're a force and I like that. (laughs) And you can't be more like yourself when you're trying to please people based on what they want. You just can't. (laughs) And like so you you just like it's so simple. I remember talking to my mum and dad on FaceTime about 
something that I was really struggling with at work and talking to them about all of the things that I was worried about, which was so much about people pleasing. And my beautiful mum and dad were just like, oh, Dal, all you can do is be true to yourself. And it's so simple, but like that is actually what it comes down to of just being like, I can't control what you think about me. I can't control all of these different things. I can only control what I can control, but what I can control is my character, how I, so it's like character over control. Even going into a difficult conversation, I used to think I had to have this perfect script. I had to know, well, what if this person says this? And then what do I say to that? And what do I do to this? And now, again, because there's no replacement for experience, because I've done this more times and I've built more muscle memory of like, I've internalized this. I know how to do this now. I know that I'm coming from a good place. I know I'm doing this because I want this person to grow. I know it's not necessarily the most comfortable thing for me, but it's become more comfortable because I've gotten practice at it. I walk in with a plan, but I don't walk in thinking, if this, then that, if this, then that, I need to stick to this exact script. I walk in thinking, I'm going to be direct. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to listen. I'm going to be open to being wrong. And I'm also going to be open to being right because I also have had a problem with second guessing myself. And sometimes if you're delivering a tough message to someone and they become defensive, it can then put you in a position where you start again, becoming unclear because you're second guessing yourself, but maybe you do have conviction in what you're saying. So you can focus on those things of like how you show up and not the specific words you say or what they're kind of taking away, you know? And again, that's a luxury to be able to say, you don't have to think about the specific words you say, because you do. Words are very important. But that's what I mean when I say that there's no substitute for experience, because the more experience you have, the more you know to not phrase something in a certain way, to not come at a conversation in a way that is deeply flawed, or that is setting the other person up to not be able to receive it well. The more experience and muscle memory you have in doing that, the less you have to think about it. And that's what's like such a relief to be like. Such a relief. Oh, it's such a relief to like have learnt something and to not have to remember it. I think the other thing is what might be really practical for you if you're listening, you're like, okay, cool, I want to try this because you might feel the same way. You feel like your natural strength is your kindness, your empathy for people. You might relate to what Grace said before about ruinous empathy, which is from Kim Scott's book, Radical Candor. And I'd recommend everyone read it. We'll put a link into the show notes. If you relate to that, here's what I would suggest you do at the beginning of a difficult meeting. I would frame it up and say, hey, Grace, I want to talk to you about this thing. Sometimes I get muddled with my words, but my intention is to be clear and direct and kind. And I want that to be how this conversation goes. So by simply stating your intent at the beginning of the meeting, and that person hears that, they're like, okay, cool. And you're, you're not only just acknowledging that for them, for their benefit, you're setting up the tone of that entire conversation. And the other thing my good mate Shane Hatton says, he says this beautiful one-liner that I have used now in multiple conversations, hey, are you okay if I give you feedback in a clumsy way? So it doesn't need to be scripted. Mm -hmm. Like I remember like, and HR is so notorious for this. Like I've given so many managers scripts 
Yeah. And I, because I'd be worried about what they would say. Yeah, of course. Like, Again, because they haven't had the experience yet to like, know. Do well, don't not, say like that. Do not go off that script. I spent hours laboring over that script and they'll go in and they will literally read it and it'll, it'll go so bad. And then they put the script down and they just be authentically them. Like, why did I give them that script? That actually mm-hmm. was a barrier for mm-hmm. this whole conversation. Instead, if we get clear on the intent and we go, you know what? I can't control how they respond. I can't control how they react or how they perceive this. But what I can control is how I prepare and how I show up in this conversation. Mm -hmm. You can have language if you're feeling, if you're not as experienced in it, where you're like, okay, a sentence I can use is, what do you mean by that? When someone says something that doesn't sit well with you. And you can also have the conversation knowing that if it feels like it's maybe going a little bit off course, it doesn't have to be that this is the only conversation you ever have. This can just be about opening up the lines of communication between you and that can be the point of it. It doesn't have to be that we cover everything off and we leave and we're like, oh, you know what, we both completely agree on everything that we just talked about. It can just be, hey, I want to bring this thing to you. Here's my intention behind it and I just want to be able to talk about it and that's enough. I think that's a really good point that often we see them as needing to get to a resolution instead of just being the start of a conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like if we see them as, hey, this is just the start and the good thing is we can have multiple and I don't know who it is that says this but I used it with one of our clients the other day of having a redo conversation. Mm, yeah. When I stuff it up, let's just have a redo. Like take two, <laughs> gee, I really didn't do that as well as I wanted but let's go, let's go again. Right, totally. So it's, you know what, I want to round out this conversation about people pleasing. What would be your final advice or even like practical steps and take a while, you can take some time to think Mm -hmm. about how someone can move out of this people pleasing mindset? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I'll just have a little think for a moment. So while you think of yours, Mm -hmm. one of my big things, and I've said this recently, is... I mean, it's such a bad combo. People, people pleasing and perfectionist combo is the death. And you probably have that. I know I've had a, a bit. I've definitely got the perfectionism. And for me, the affirmation, I guess I would say, that I've had is, you can care less without being careless. Mm-hmm. And I've I've had to learn to care less about what people think of me. So, mm-hmm. just you know what just care less. And that's very easy to say, very difficult to do, but that's been something I've had to say to myself and repeat. So when I feel myself go into that spiral of caring what people think, I'm like, you need to care less about this. This is not energy well spent. Totally. Um, as a little build on top of that. Just build. <laughs> Let's build, baby. <laughs> um, I have really struggled with that before of thinking I need to care less because I feel like my identity is so centrally tied to caring about everything or not everything, but a lot of things. And recently, very recently, I realized that caring is different to worrying and that you can care deeply about something and you can try to worry less about it and you can have a real concern about something and you can be productive with that concern and put it in its place of like, this is when I'm going to think about it and focus on it and here's what I'm going to do with it. 
rather than spiral over or think over and over and over again. And just even that nuance, like the, I love thinking about two words that we all use interchangeably and actually picking them apart and being like, no, that's not what that is. I can care, but I don't have to worry or I can try not to worry. And so for me, that's been really freeing to realize that um, worry often doesn't do you good. And I think another thing that's been really helpful for me to realize, which my beautiful husband Aaron has helped me realize, is that if you're someone who people pleases, you're likely someone who also has a tendency to worry about things. (laughs) And he has called it the worry basket that like I have the tendency to fill up the worry basket no matter what is going on. So if there's big things to worry about, I'll worry about those. If there's not big things to worry about, I'll find something else. But I always have the ability to be worrying. The basket is never empty. The basket is never (laughs) empty. And even just that visual for me has been helpful of like, oh, that's no way to live. And it doesn't mean that I've completely solved it, but at least I'm aware of it that like, again, worrying isn't caring. So by me working on worrying less, I'm not abandoning a central part of myself because I can still care about people and I can still care about my work and I can still care about doing a great job. But that is different to worrying. So I need to like separate those two things. So I think that's been really great. (laughs) What a revelation. So good. So good. And yeah, I think this is a pretty simple one that I'm sure a lot of people have heard a million times, but in the same vein as like gratitude journaling or whatever you want to talk about, like whatever you want to do, I think practically for me, a list of acknowledgements at the end of the day of things that I've done a really good job of or that I felt really great about just in my phone of like, this went really well. This was really great. I, I felt that that person felt really encouraged or felt really inspired or felt really supported or motivated or I saw a big piece of growth there in that person or I saw a big piece of growth in myself or I love that lunch that I went on or like just I'm not great at journaling but I'm good at lists or I'm good at like little notes and I think rewiring your brain to look out for the things that you did really well And if, again, if you care deeply about people and you worry about people and you're worried about people pleasing, often those lists of acknowledgements or the things that you're looking out for will end up being about people. And you'll often find that there were a decent amount of really positive things. (laughs) And you don't have to just swirl and circle and cycle over what that one person or two people or 10 people might be thinking based on what may or may not be true. It's just, it's no way to live and we need to free ourselves from the shackles. (laughs) Totally. I think my big takeaway is the idea of doing what's right rather than doing what you think people want. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's a really good distinction of going, hey, my job isn't to do what I think people want from me. It's to do what is right. And sometimes that's going to upset people. By Mm -hmm. default, because the right thing sometimes is the hard thing to do. But that's where your kind of integrity, your character, as you mentioned, comes into play, going back to your core values. So I want you to think about your values and I want you to think about, hey, who do you want to become? So have a list of things. For me, it's my values. So I've got that value of like take the bold road that helps me to kind of get out of my head. I want you to think about maybe it's what Grace does of looking at those people like Lady Gaga of having that visual of, 
a leader that you aspire to, that you think does something that they're a force, they're brave, they're gutsy, they rally people to get stuff done, but they're not worrying about what people think of them because otherwise they can't get to where they are. If if she was terrified of what she thought, she oh wouldn't have worn God. that meat, meat she suit that time. Never. Remember, remember that? She would have Back never. Back in 2007. Again. Because <laughs> she's such a perfect example, as are all of them, of if any of them were trying to be everything for everyone, they wouldn't have gotten anywhere. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, good place to end. Hey, I want to say this is so nice and therapeutic for us. <laughs> it's a bit of therapy for it free, which is what we want. Well, thank you. If you enjoyed the show, give us a five-star rating review on Spotify or Apple and share this episode with a people pleaser that can benefit. <laughs> <laughs> praying for you. <laughs> praying, praying for you. All right, thanks for hanging out. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we live and work and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to this podcast. Before you do anything meaningful with your money, you need to be able to control your money. I can help. The Glen James Spending Plan is a complete spending plan budgeting system that will show you how to manage your money. It includes a downloadable spreadsheet that will tell you how much to put into what account each week and you will get control over your money within two pay cycles. Thousands of people have used the Glen James Spending Plan and it is now free. So download the Glen James Spending Plan and enroll today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.